Welcome to the Tips and Salsa podcast, your local source for chips, salsa, and instructional technology happenings within the Redlands Unified School District. And here are your hosts, Jamie Quartz, Nicole House, Caleb Rothy, and Jen Vadney. All right, well, hello, Redlands teachers and staff. Thank you for joining us for episode 22 of Tips and Salsa. We are so excited to have you as a listener today, all million of you. Woo! <laughs> I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm here with our amazing tech coaches, Nicole. Hello. Caleb. Hello. And Jen. Bonjour. So we are joined today by an incredibly special guest all the way from Maryland. She flew here this morning. <laughs> just for this. Yeah, just, just for, for this. this. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, this is Nicole Tucker-Smith. Nicole, Yay! thank you so much for joining us today. Great name. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> today, we are starting our podcast with Chips and Salsa, which it's not a new thing. We do it every time we have a podcast. But the new thing is the Chips and Salsa that we are snacking on. They are coming from the Ranch Market in Redlands. Homemade salsa, both hot and medium, and their homemade tortillas. And we're pretty spoiled. We're very spoiled. Caleb and I, when we were, you know, talking about who's going to pick up the chips and salsa, we <laughs> both were craving the ranch market salsa yes, and chips. Yes. And it's been a full two days since we've had them last. <laughs> <laughs> so they're really good. And um, that's what we're enjoying today. Kind of a thing for us. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> I think it's salty this time. Do you find... You find the salty? Oh, I went for the mild, not surprising. So I don't think it's salty. Yeah, it's not reading as too salty to me. I think the chips are just nicely salted. Like, well, I'm not complaining. I love a good salted <laughs> chip. <laughs> salty, greasy. Yeah, mm -hmm. fresh with lard. Don't Nicole, how are those pretzels, Nicole? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately, I don't. I don't have the fresh tortilla chips. Oh. <laughs> I am enjoying my stale pretzels. I wish we could <laughs> virtually share them. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the next, next time you come visit us, yes. you are coming to see us next semester. Absolutely. We will have to have some for you. Yeah. For Absolutely. our listeners outside of Redlands Unified and our international <laughs> listeners, if you ever come to Redlands, California, yeah, find you need us. To, yes, find us and you need to find Ranch Market. Yeah. Um, just so you know, Nicole is joining us via Zoom. Yes. Um, so... That's why she's not able to eat the ranch market chips, <laughs> which she would be loving, by the yes. way. So I must say, um, Nicole Tucker-Smith is our most prestigious guest yes. we've yes, ever had absolutely. on this podcast. She is the founder and CEO of LessonCast and leads the Jumpstart PD Network. She is one of the foremost experts in the country on universal design for learning. So honored, and and I mentioned this to Nicole before. I've I've had the honor of being in several of her presentations, and for me, I'm a hard nut to crack in terms <laughs> of getting like motivated and engaged. Nicole is the perfect blend of authenticity, humor, um, yeah. legit. She's super legit organized yep. um engaging engage, i mean she's the real deal yes. totally the re like one of the best in my whole career one of the best ever and i'm not just saying that because she's our guest in this podcast <laughs> true statement yeah. she is the real deal and and recognized as such in our district 
So what an honor, Nicole. Thank you so much. It's, yes, it's just a welcome. huge welcome. honor to, to have you. I am so honored myself. And I, can I tell you, that just made my day. <laughs> nice. I, I can't wait to get a link to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Blast Share it, it with the family. Play it at your home. <laughs> It'll make, make the family listen. Something. I'm bad yeah. at tweeting. Oh, yeah. that's or, okay. Or, yeah. Well, you can tag us because we have millions of tweet followers too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. millions. Yeah. What yeah. is a tweet follower? Twitter. <laughs> what, what, tweet tweeters? I don't know. Twitter followers? Yeah. Uh, yeah we yeah. get hearts and hearts yeah. and loves all over the place. Well, we are very happy that you're here, Nicole. And and I think that Jamie is right. He He is a hard one to crack. And so he has said to us, beyond just today in this podcast that um, what you are doing and, and sharing the information that you're giving has really made a difference for him. So um, that is you, something to be proud of for sure. And we've all been able to hear you speak for our district, but there are some people that may have not had that opportunity yet. So can you just kind of give us just a quick, somebody who doesn't know a lot about universal design for learning, what would you tell them? What's a quick elevator pitch that you would sell them on this? Yes, so I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you my my typical elevator pitch, and I I like to customize it for the audience, sure. but because I don't necessarily know who's going to be listening, right. I'll give you one of my typical elevator pitches, and so just go with me. It's going to sound random, but it'll make sense. Okay. Um, within the next two minutes. <laughs> so um, let's say so, Jamie. Let me ask you a question. So, Jamie, uh, have you ever driven a vehicle? Ever driven? A vehicle? Yes. Yes, he's driven. Okay, so have you ever had the pleasure of sharing that vehicle with another person? <laughs> uh, even I, if it's to rent a car, even if it's to I, rent a car. I have, yes, I have. Yes. Uh -huh. Or it could be somebody you also um, share other expenses with. But yes. let's say, let's say it's Wednesday morning. You get into the your vehicle that you have been sharing with another person, and that other person drove it the night before. So it's Wednesday morning. You get in. What's the first thing you do? I adjust the seat. Yep. You adjust and the, the seat. And the mirrors, <laughs> change the radio station. There's a lot. That's why right, I don't like to look. There's a lot that you can adjust, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. The seat, the mirrors, the radio station. But your first instinct is to adjust the seat. Mm. Yes. Why is that? Why? Well, because it didn't fit me. It didn't fit you, yeah, uh -huh. right? And if the fit's not right, it's going to affect how far you can drive, right? How safe you feel safe, driving, yep. Comfort, right? Where you can go, comfort, yep. Yeah. Now, uh -huh. what? Imagine if car seats were not adjustable. What if? How tall are you? Um, five eleven. Five eleven. Let's say car seats were made for the average size man, which is not five eleven, <laughs> right? <laughs> With the average size legs, how comfortable would you be in that seat? It would be awkward. Mm -hmm. It'd be awkward. It would you'd, be, be awkward. you'd be a little bit scrunched up. Yeah. And you may limit where you can go, your possibilities. Right. Right. All right. Right. So now let's imagine that, or not even imagine, but let's say that classrooms are our vehicles for learning. Mm -hmm. What's adjustable in our classrooms so that learners feel capable, comfortable, and safe in being able to reach their full potential, drive to where they need to go in order to um, actualize their goals and aspirations. What's adjustable uh, in our classrooms? That's, that's, well, also. 
something that the students can adjust? Or yeah, that's what, so I was going to say, like, <laughs> like the exactly, students would right? be the driver, right? Right. Right. But and they, they exactly, because seat. when you get in the car, you don't expect somebody else to come adjust your seat. Right. Oh, true. <laughs> there are options that the driver is able to adjust. Now, universal design for learning, those are guidelines and a framework to help educators think about their classrooms as vehicles for learning. And to think about what options can we build into the learning environment and learning experiences so that students can be the drivers of their learning. Because we recognize that learner variability is the rule. It's not the exception. We know our learners are going to be different. You put any two learners together, they're going to be different. The same seat's not going to fit them. And guess what? Teachers don't have enough time to go around adjusting everybody's seat. <laughs> right? Sorry. So how do we build those options into the learning environment? Well, UDL helps us to do that. Ah. And it helps us, it gives us a process to think about that is doable. That's the number one comment I right. hear. They're like, oh, right. after we went through this cohort with you, UDL is a process that's doable. Doable, right. Got it. And we it helps us to think about barriers as educators it helps us to think about barriers that aren't barriers for us mm. how do we see barriers that are barriers for our learners barriers for our students so that was my quick it may be a little bit that was a long it was a tall building yes, yes. <laughs> a little bit long of an elevator pitch but i think i had to do it, so. yeah i like that example that's great and that is one of the things that we've all experienced right as an adult at least i just had this with my husband the other day he borrowed my car and when i got it back everything was changed <laughs> you know and it's like everything what in the world <laughs> it was very difficult to drive the next morning. <laughs> I think that's one of the best distinctions, though, with what we're trying to accomplish in our district is not like make the teacher responsible for adjusting 35 seats, right? you know, customize right. 35 seats all day for every. Le- it's not like that because they're not the drivers. The kids mm-hmm. are the drivers. Right. So creating circumstances and conditions for the drivers to adjust their seats is, to me, just like hearing it the way you put it, Nicole, is – so much less stressful and, and threatening. Yeah. Yeah. And it to piggyback on her analogy, it's kind of like if you got in a car and the mirror was fixed and, and was not flexible mm-hmm. and you couldn't move it, or the, the seat, they didn't put in the track that allowed you to adjust it and slide it forward or back. If the seat is fixed for just one person, mm-hmm. then even if the student wants to adjust, there's no way to do it. So as, as teachers, we don't need to do all the adjustments. We've got to make sure that the seat is adjustable, that the mirrors are right. adjustable, yes. that the radio station is adjustable, and kind of build that into the cars that we're designing for our students. I love it. Well, in the yeah, safety, exactly. mm-hmm. that safety piece. I just piece, want to say one thing, yeah. uh, just to add to that, yeah. one thing to, to just build on that is that and what I always tell folks is like, you can't change anybody. You can't change anybody, but you can create the space where change is possible. Mm-hmm. Love that. You yeah. can create the space where growth is possible, yeah. but you can't make somebody grow. Yeah. We right? we talk about it. lifelong learners a lot. And as a parent of two children, and I've taught both children how to drive, there comes a point where they get their license and they get a car and they are driving on their own for the rest of their lives. <laughs> and we want our students to be that way in the classroom with learning. We want to give them the tools so they know how to make those choices that are right for them so they can continue or just start that individual learning process and then continue it for the rest of their lives. And what's so important about what you said is that sometimes when I'm working with educators, especially when it comes to assessment, Um, They're like, well, we can't give students all these options because these options don't exist in real life. The truth is real life has a lot of options. Yeah. A lot. And if we don't provide opportunities for learners to understand how to navigate choice and even have the opportunity to fail sometimes, 
right? Yes. That's yep. that's a yes. learning opportunity. Yes, I and love that really point. doing our learners a disservice. Good point. Now, Jamie, I cut you off. I'm sorry. I I was um, kind of thinking about like in in a classroom the the concept of safety too, because you you mentioned like safety. So UDL isn't just instructional. It's also giving them like conditions to feel safe in the mm-hmm. classroom too. Yeah. So that might just be the way they're seated, the you know the the safety for them to be able to ask questions in certain ways. Right. Um, so, you know, it it creates more of a uh, it fits in with MTSS. It's tiered systems of support. Sure. Where it's yes. not just like academic. It's like behavioral, socio socio emotional, and the academic piece. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, because really, um, um, your, your emotions, you know, emotions are so tied to cognition. One of the most important emotions is this idea of seeking. And if you don't feel you have to have a certain bar of the, it's safe to take risks, it's safe mm-hmm. to seek information here and right. to learn here. And so it's not like when we talk about social emotional learning, it's some other fluffy stuff. Mm-hmm. The first principle in um, UDL is engagement. And it really is about recognizing how tied emotion is to cognition. Even when we get into, if we get into a fight, flight, or freeze mode, learning new things shuts down. Right. Yep. Makes Sensory sense. input shuts down. It's why, go back to the driving again. When you're driving in the car and you're lost, what do you do? Turn down the radio. Turn down the radio. It's <laughs> so true. You do. You turn down yeah. the radio. The- <laughs> because you Just can't me? process. Yeah. You can't yeah. process extra information. You're right. like, I got to focus. We're yeah. starting to do the whoo. I got to focus yeah. on this one thing. The second thing is argue with your spouse. <laughs> turn down the radio, argue with the spouse. It was that way. (laughs) (laughs) You can tell that you've done this for a long time and you're very knowledgeable and have a rich background in UDL. Um, When in preparing, you know, we like to do a little bit of research on our, our guests um, to, to have a better and more lively conversation. Um, Would you, and so I've learned that this wasn't, your first job, you didn't become a, you know, an adult, a professional, and then you champion UDL. Would you describe your path? Will you tell us and the listeners how you ended up here? Oh, my gosh. This is such a wild story. Like, I couldn't have written it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I started as a middle school teacher. I taught in Alexandria, Virginia, and I also taught in Baltimore City Schools. Mm. And while I was in Baltimore City Schools, uh, at that time, the school system had some leadership challenges. So I said, I want to learn how to do this better in terms of the leadership, the structure of a school system. Well, in particular, a school and then a school system. So I enrolled in Johns Hopkins uh, School of Ed and their administration and supervision program. While I was in that program, I made friends with someone who worked at the Center for Technology and Education, which was part of Johns Hopkins. And uh, they offered me a job. <laughs> I wasn't, that wasn't my part of my plan. So I accepted a position at Johns Hopkins um, Center for Technology and Education. Nice. And part of my role was in the, um, the, the, the division that focused on professional learning, particularly for working with general educators and special educators in the inclusion space. So this is when inclusion was really starting to ramp up. 
and the idea of general ed and special ed collaborating together. And so I was the general educator and I worked with a special educator and we went around the state of Maryland and did professional development. And this was also the same time that UDL was also starting to pick up a little more. It was actually before there were even UDL guidelines. Okay. Cause there was universal design for learning and there were just three principles. There weren't guidelines yet that hadn't happened. And so, um, so I, we did professional development across the state in the process of doing professional development, I um, met some folks from Baltimore County Public Schools. Uh, they recruited me. I was the supervisor of parent support services for the county. So a little bit about Baltimore County. Um, in Maryland counties in general, they tend to be a lot larger than in California. Oh. With the exception of like L.A. Sure. But um, I mean, that's, you know, LA. Right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but so, for example, um, we had at the time 106,000 students. Wow. That's the size of the county, right? So um, close to 200 schools. I um, So I was the supervisor of all the parent support services, which was part of the Department of Professional Development. Then I was promoted to coordinator of professional development and training for the system, for the school system. Wow. And so we invented this process um, called, um, this is a little bit of a long story, but we invented a system for really making sure that our professional development was not only engaging, but also actionable, that it was tied to real goals, that we were um, consistent across the, the, the school system so that we weren't overloading teachers with too many things. So I, well, I had a supervisor, I had a an executive director, but all the professional development had to get approved through our process. Wow. So I was kind of like the key holder for that. So we, we wanted to make sure everything was working together as a system. To make a long story short, I could see that there were objectives at the system level that I say got stuck in the clouds and never made it to the classroom. Mm -hmm. So I said, I really want to go back to the schoolhouse. And they were like, are you serious? And so and then I became an assistant principal and they said, well, we'll show you We'll make you uh, the first hire <laughs> at a school that's going through restructuring. And Ooh. by the way, it's the largest middle school. There were 1,300 middle school students. You should never do that. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if you have a school like that, but it was a lot, a lot. I have like over 400 sixth graders. Yep. Oh, Cope, yeah, Cope wow. is 1,300. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so in that process, because we were on the school's bad list, because it, I was the first hire of this restructured school, um, and we had um, over half of our teachers were new to the school and um, three quarters were untenured. Wow. Right. And so um, so I developed this process for professional development to say we are going to make sure that professional learning doesn't just stay in an after school session or a PD day. Yeah. How do we make sure that it's actionable? What does it look like to actually make it actionable? And in that came the lesson cast process. I started getting asked to do, do different contracting things. My kids were little at the time. So I said, well, I'm going to keep my certificate, but I'm going to go out on a limb and try to um, do uh, help other districts and um, organizations apply this process to their work. Now, in that process, I met the folks from CAST and they were like, hey, can you help us put UDL into practice? Nice. And so this that was about sense. a decade ago. Yeah. And I had already had experience with UDL back in my work at Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, I'll go on a few presentations with you. I was supposed to go to observe. <laughs> they, That's what they you had thought. tricked me. Yeah. They tricked me. And somehow we ended up married. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> 
I don't really remember the ring or the proposal or anything, but um, somehow like we ended up married and it's been pretty good. That's awesome. You know, it's so funny because there's so many parallels, Nicole, to your journey and not necessarily our journeys individually, but as a group, yeah. as a department, because um, we started off as the first instructional tech department in this district because there wasn't one prior to us. And um, so we were kind of tasked with bringing a, a whole, not not only a bunch of skills to the table, but a new mindset. Yes. And, and you know, we, we're like you. We've been, we've been, had PDs before. We've been to the conferences. We've been to that. But um, we also noticed the same thing. We missed the actionable piece, and we also missed the piece where it, the teachers are supported through that co- coaching yeah. to actually yeah. make it real. And, and So everything that you're saying is so true to, like, what we've experienced as well. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a mix between common sense, uh, what's worked before, but also that 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 factor of um, engaging your 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 um, constituents and right. getting them to enjoy what you're doing, having fun. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We're we're also in the process as we we move forward with instructional tech to marry UDL into everything that we're doing. So it, it's um, it's really everything that you're saying is a Total parallel. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. So, uh, Nicole, I'm wondering for somebody that is kind of starting on their journey in UDL, they've, they've maybe gone to a couple of workshops, they've heard some things that they like these ideas, uh, and they start using this. Can you share with us for somebody in that situation that that's new to it but is open to these ideas? What's a major thing that's commonly misunderstood mm. about universal design for learning? Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, what's commonly misunderstood is just understanding what it is. <laughs> so the biggest thing that. is like, what is it and how do I, where do I begin? Like, I don't even understand where to begin. Mm-hmm. And the thing about UDL is it's an approach and it actually has, it's, it's, it's actually pretty standard. I shouldn't say standard. That's not the right word. It, it's an approach where there are just a few key steps and it looks different in every context. And so folks will say, I wanna know what it looks like. I wanna know where to begin. And the truth is it's gonna look different in every context, but there is a clear place to begin. But usually folks are like, I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. I see this guidelines. It's got you know three principles, nine guidelines, all these bulleted checkpoints, where, where do I get started? And actually you don't get started with this sheet of paper, with the framework. You don't start there. That's probably one of the biggest misconceptions. You don't go through, it's not a checklist. Your actual first place to start, don't even look at that sheet. Your first place to start is, what is my goal? Mm. What is the learning goal? And it can be, you can apply this, these steps or this process to a lesson, to a learning moment, to coordinating a field trip, to a parent-teacher conference. Anything. I've done it with our family vacation. <laughs> ah, nice. Right? So you start with what is the goal here? Can we yeah. agree on the goal and get super clear on mm-hmm. the goal? And then we say, hmm, are there any barriers to achieving that goal? And we pick one or two barriers to work on. And then we think about how might learners be different? How might learners vary in terms of how they can achieve that goal? And some people say, well, consider learner variability. I like to say embrace learner variability because sometimes we think we need to work around people, but variability, our diversity is such a strength. Right. 
right? And then after we've done those things, after we're clear on our goal, after we've anticipated barriers, and after we've considered and embraced learner variability, that's when we design options and we go to this sheet of paper. So you never are going to do all the things. You're gonna say, well, what's my goal? What um, barriers, based on those barriers and different ways in which learners can vary, then I'm gonna focus on one or two print, uh, one or two guidelines maybe, one or two checkpoints maybe. And so I think the biggest misconception is, and I don't know if it's a misconception uh, as much as a misstep, people will get so excited but they're like, I don't know how to begin. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point. So for the listeners at home, <clears throat> you, you mentioned engagement as one of the key. Can you mm -hmm. um, just explain what the others are and kind of just give oh, an yeah. example? Yeah. Yeah. And right. this is the, the framework that you're talking about is that chart that's got the three columns. One's green, one's purple, one's blue, right? Mm -hmm. That one right. we've all seen. Okay, uh -huh. great. Yes. And what people also often um, miss in, on that piece of paper is that each of those columns is also has a brain image, an image of a brain. And a portion of that brain is highlighted in its respective color. So engagement is often is, is represented as green and it has a brain and it and it the green part that's highlighted is really like the it's really like the limbic system right. it's probably the oldest part of our brain right it's it's at the core it, what governs our, our emotions so that's the multiple means of engagement that jamie was mentioning then we have multiple means of representation now this is often misunderstood too so multiple means of representation it usually shows up as purple it's more toward it's closer towards the the brain stem so towards the backside of our um, our brain. But that is all about how learners perceive information. Mm. So we want to have multiple ways in which something is represented mm. so that learners have the most options in terms of being able to perceive something and turn it into meaning. Like if I'm looking at two apples, I'm perceiving the number two, one, two apples. I'm perceiving that one's red and one's green. Hmm. I am remembering because of my background knowledge. I'm remembering what they taste like. And I know, oh, the green right. one's a little tart and the red one's a little sweeter, hmm. right? And my, I might even recall a memory of apple picking or something, if that's something I've done, right. right? And so then the third principle is multiple means of action and expression. And that's all about how learners show what they know. And that's more closer towards the prefrontal context. Uh, um, cortex and it's uh, where we, we call it our strategic networks, but it's uh, also the part of the brain that's still developing for some of our learners in terms of making wise choices, things like that. <laughs> we need to help them yeah. flex that muscle a yes. little bit, <laughs> but it's how they plan their work and work their plan, right? It's how they say, all right, I'm learning something. Now I'm going to express my ideas, show you what I know. And here's the thing. This is where um, educators, we often are most nervous about engage, focusing on action and expression because it really does mean turning over some power, right? Right, And we tend to assess in ways that we feel comfortable expressing our ideas. Yeah. Yep. But we need to have options for assessment so that learners have more opportunity, options equal opportunity, to truly show what they know yeah. and show progress. And it's not just about the teachers knowing what they know, but it's also about the students mm -hmm. knowing what they know. Right. Because a lot of our right. learners have gone through school feeling like they're stupid because they only have one way to show and demonstrate progress and mastery. And if we only do one way, by definition, we are excluding 
so many learners. Right. Everything that you say is basically like a plant to support what we've been doing in instructional technology. Because if you really think about technology, there's so many ways you can use that to engage the learners. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, multiple representations, you know, with, right. with the different types of tools that we have, it, it really lends itself to giving students different opportunities to express what they, they know in different ways. Yeah. So it really fits into, but I, I really love, I don't know, for lack of a better word, the columns that you've, you know, that UDL has. So we can kind of um, organize what we're doing in, in terms of those, those three areas. So right. people can associate, oh, by doing this, it makes sense. We're leveraging learning and we're engaging students in the process at, at the same time. And the beauty, let me just add to that, the beauty of those columns is that's what helps UDL anticipate barriers and intentionally design options in advance. Yes. Because we know that learners are going to vary in terms right. of how they engage. Right. We know that they're going to vary in terms of perceiving right. information. We right. know they're going to vary in terms of um, expressing ideas. Yeah. Okay, Nicole, so you've just wrapped up the first semester of community of practice here in Redlands. So can you kind of um, tell us a little bit about what that work was and maybe give us a hint at as in terms of what's to come? Yes. So we had a cohort of, I want to say about 70 participants. Nice. Uh, so we had a kickoff day in August. That was for a full day. Uh, we had a um, our community of practice session. So there are four there are four sessions, and as part of those sessions, the participants are broken up into groups. So I think it's really important as you're going on your UDL journey to be in community with others who have a similar context as you. Absolutely. So whether it's high school, middle school, different subject areas, yep. you really need <laughs> to be able to work together and coordinate and plan together. So they were. we had our four sessions, but there were periodic times where they could meet, talk, discuss. And really my goal, we had a, basically that community practice has a progression. So we start with saying, okay, you've learned an intro to UDL. Let's work, let, cause everyone wants to jump to just, I want to see what it looks like in lesson planning. I want to model lesson. Right. And I've been doing this long enough to say, no, you don't. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. We're going to get to the lesson planning. <laughs> and I can tell you right now, if you see a model lesson, you'll be like, meh, but it's not my class. I know, like, because that's not your class. <laughs> so you actually, you actually need to start with what I call building a UDL habit. Nice. Yes. So that's where we yeah. start in the first session, building a UDL habit. And that's just really flexing that muscle that I mentioned of clear goals, anticipate barriers, embrace learner variability, right. find options. That's it. We're building that habit. And we think about learning moments. What does it look like to have a UDL approach when you're greeting students? Okay. What's your goal? Oh, I want students to feel welcome and I want them to feel like they're ready to engage in the classroom. Okay, well then the first thing should not be you are late. <laughs> don't say that. Even Good if they're point. late, don't say that. It undermines <laughs> everything. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. That's a big so, shift for uh, some we, teachers. Yeah. So we know, we can anticipate in advance that at some point in, over the course of the year, especially if you're in high school or middle school, at some point over the course of the year, a student is going to come in late. Mm -hmm. That is life. At some point, the teacher will probably be late. <laughs> That's life, right? And so knowing that in advance, let's have a plan for how we greet students with options 
knowing that there's going to be variability in terms of how they prefer to be greeted, in terms of what may be going on for them that day. Do they have options for being able to check in? Think about that plan in advance so you don't have to default to your gut reaction when they come in and you're annoyed. <laughs> right? Truth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so I was talking about the community practice. Sorry, I had distracted for a second. Okay, so, so the first one is building the habit. Then the second one, we talk about assessment. What does UDL look like just in assessment? How do we provide assessment options? And we, we flex our muscle on just examining different ways to assess for learning. Primarily, we work with formative assessment. I'll probably do a little bit more with summative assessment second um, semester two. Then we get into lesson planning. Mm -hmm. Then we get into lesson planning. And it is so much easier to get into lesson planning after you've talked about assessment and feedback and those moments. Then we do lesson planning and then we pull all the pieces together to talk about learner agency. But it is a progression that builds. And once people get through it, they were like, oh my gosh, I thought this was overwhelming. And now I just, I can't unsee it. <laughs> Perfect. Mission accomplished. <laughs> That's exciting. I see a sticker coming on, don't you guys? Do you? Yeah. Starts with a goal. It starts with a <laughs> then goal. Then it comes to barriers. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense yeah. the way that you lay it out like that. Yeah. That really does mm -hmm. make sense because I think every teacher's kind of basic instinct is just to start with the lesson planning. Like you said, that's mm -hmm. kind of where we start with everything, right? But mm -hmm. I, I like the other way of thinking. And then, like you said, you can't unsee it. So <laughs> you're in it now. Are you <laughs> repeating the first semester you know, information yeah. second semester because we, because of our schedule, we weren't able to join in. But after listening to what it was all about, I'm like, I want in. Yes, <laughs> yes, definitely. Yes, yes. We so we have a kickoff introductory session um, that week. Um, so that Friday, January seventh, we're doing the one full day kickoff. It's virtual, okay. um, and it will be recorded because I don't want that to be a barrier. If you're not, it's better if you if you attend live. Sure. But there were actually a lot of people who attended the live session in August but couldn't do this community of practice this semester. Yes. They can come the second semester. Okay. You don't awesome. have to have done do just the January seventh one. Great. So they were like, that's an option for folks. And what I also want to do this second semester for folks who are listening is and pay more attention to blended learning opportunities. That was okay. part of the feedback from November 1st. Yes. So we're going to include some more blended learning opportunities because I actually work with several cyber charter schools that are more on the, yep. on the East Coast, but obviously still blended learning. And so I can bring some of those strategies in as well. Great. That's great. great. Definitely speaking our language. That's yes, <laughs> for sure. Passion for all of us. Oh, and because we're a community of practice, that means you all, if you come, you also can share some of your expertise because we all learn from one another. Great. Sometimes people are like, oh my gosh, your, your, your presentations were so engaging. I learned so much. And I was like, that's because I have a very good memory of all the things that everybody else says. And I write them down. I have like post-it notes everywhere. Just <laughs> I don't even I don't even know what to do with them. But once I write it on a post-it note, then it's stuck. And so I I I learn from the community. I thought she was going to say because you're community of practice, you're going to get free lunch when you go to the <laughs> and snacks, yeah, and chips and salsa, we'll bring our own. swag. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, our next question. We have heard your story that um, your journey on with UDL has been a little bit different than some other people experience with their education um, careers. But in the time that you've been consulting, have you noticed a pattern in how teachers take on UDL and bringing that into their classrooms? 
Yes, I, what I found is that very rarely can someone be a lone wolf mm. and yeah. be able to sustain their effort and, and find success. And it's just very lonely. It, it, it's possible. I'm not saying it's not possible, but it takes a certain type of person. Sure. What works a lot better is to find a team. Mm. Mm-hmm. To find a team some, so, and then get into a rhythm. Find a team and get into a rhythm where you say, okay, we're going to learn a little bit. We're going to try a little bit. We're going to reflect and talk about how it went. And then we're going to put what we learned into practice the next time. We're going to mm-hmm. iterate. Mm-hmm. We're going to iterate. So if you can have a team that can iterate together, yeah. I find that there's success. That also requires having an administration that understands creating the professional learning environment. Absolutely. That Absolutely. devotes time for that. That says, here's here's the time when you all can work together. And that time is honored and compensated, however. Um, and that is when I see it successful. You know, that's when I see it, it can be really successful. Um, one of the things I didn't mention is, you know, I wrote a book, Supercharge Your Professional Learning, uh-huh. where we're applying UDL to adult learning. And my favorite chapter in the book is chapter five, use it or lose it. Mm. <laughs> and these are concrete strategies yeah that support putting professional learning into practice. Nice. Because if you just learn it, but don't use it, you will lose it. Nice. Absolutely. So much of what you say, it resonates with me where I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's almost like, why didn't I think of that kind of feeling? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yes, of course we all need support. And of course it's easier to do it with somebody else. Like, duh. Oh my goodness. So I love it. I, I definitely, yes, I'm ready to jump into your next oh, yeah, community you of practice. Yeah. Well, well, that's that's the great thing about everything you're saying, Nicole, is it's not, it's, it makes sense, but it's not like, oh my God, how am I going to do that? It's It's just like, Work with a friend, right? You know, right. Um, get into a habit. Yeah, into, you know, it's, yes. nothing is cr- crazy right. or or yeah. like impossible. Yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. you just need somebody else to say yeah. it to you, though. Yeah. You know, it's that's all what doable. I need. I call it post dictable. It's post dictable. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't you didn't think of it before. But after you hear it, you're like, oh, that makes right? sense. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It's like having a workout accountability partner. Yeah. Now you have a UDL accountability yeah. partner. Absolutely. Well, that's the book that you held up. We used a health and wellness metaphor. Ah. Right? And so, you're, for, one, for example, you're much more likely to achieve a goal if you tell somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Right. right? So why not apply that to work and, you know... Your, yep. your work environment. Oh, my goodness. See? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Nicole, you have some, you have covered so much great information in this podcast, and there's just a wealth of things that teachers can take with them and start applying. Um, and, you know, all the way from the, like, let's do an entire semester of studying the community practice to, you know, start with this. Don't, don't look at the giant matrix of options first. Think simple. Um, can you kind of, you know, to wrap up this conversation for any teacher that's listening and goes, okay, I want to start on this journey. Where do I start? You touched on that a little bit earlier, but can you maybe encapsulate for us one easy change that a teacher can make in their classroom to kind of get started on this journey and get the ball rolling? Ooh, one easy change they can make. So there's so many places where you could start. I would say that, and this may or may not be answering your question, but one easy change that teachers can make is it literally is to not try to do this by yourself. It literally is find your team. Yeah, I like that. 
it's it's find your team, find community whenever. And this is so key because right now so many folks are feeling burnt out. Mm-hmm. And when you feel tired, it's usually because you're trying to do so much by yourself. Right. So much by yourself. So find a little it could be three people. Right. Find three people and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to enroll in the, the spring semester community of practice. Yay. And we'll have guidance. <laughs> or, <laughs> or if you don't want to do that, you could. I mean, there are a lot of online resources, but I just think that sh- starting on your own is the hard way to go. Yep. yep. And you might go fast in the beginning, but you're not going to go far. Yeah. Right. And so I'm um, like this. I always have little messages. I don't know if you can see this. Well, obviously, the listeners can't see it, but I have a little poster that sits behind me so I can see it when I'm presenting and other people can see it, too. But it says alone, we can do so little together. We can do so much. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. And then my other thing, I don't know if you can see it. I have my little breathe. Chalkboard that says breathe. Yeah. <laughs> right? breathe. Yeah. <laughs> because we need that, that automatically reminder. taking time to breathe calms us down. How you breathe it is a trigger to how you feel. Mm. And if you're breathing like your body feels stressed out. Mm-hmm. So find your community, take time to breathe. Um, I think it's important to have a little bit of guidance, but let's say you feel like you already know some things. Well, then just think about the, that those four steps. Pick one thing tomorrow that you're doing. One moment in your classroom. Yes. So whether it's you're introducing something new, Mm -hmm. whether it's collaborating with a peer colleague, whether it's giving feedback to students, pick one moment in your professional day and then apply those steps. What's the goal? What are some barriers? How are my learners variable? Let's think of one or two options to try. Nice. I love it. it. Yep. Sticker. That's a perfect Doable. way to get started. Yep. It's perfect. Just yep. pick one moment yeah. in your day tomorrow. One and moment. Let's apply this. Also, mm-hmm. you know, even even more simple, maybe, I don't know. It's You're talking about just a mindset too. You know, you can mm-hmm. start adapting and working a different muscle in your mind that, you know, right. this is not me adjusting everything. It's the learners. Yeah. Is, you know, just that little thing in my head changes the whole way I see, see UDL. You know, so just small little things on the way I approach or or kind of think it through. Yeah. yeah. And one more one more mindset, because part of it, a big one is that exactly what you said. How can learn how can I provide options so that learners can be the drivers of the learning? Right. That is huge. Right. Because if the teacher's going around making all the choices, that's unsustainable. Right. The second mind shift, and these are related, is that barriers are in the environment, not the learner. Ah, mm. Yes. Because if we get fixated on the barrier being in the learner and trying to fix the learner, remember I said you can't fix can't a person, change them. Right. Yep. but you can create an environment where change and growth right. is nurtured, Absolutely. right? Cultivated. Yep. And so if we make that shift and granted, you know, folks can be very frustrating. I'm not saying they don't do things that are not productive. Right. right. <laughs> but there's just no teacher agency in assigning the, the barrier to the learner. There's no agency in it for us as educators. Yeah. And so if we think about, hmm, let me take a step back. And let me think about what are potential barriers in this environment, the things that I do have control over, where we can reduce those barriers or provide an option and don't think about it as one-off, one-off, just make it available. 
because you never know when somebody might need it. Right. That's that kind of predictive added, that, that predictive mm-hmm. mind. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm ex- I've done this before and I know this is going to happen. Right. So if we mm-hmm. just have a plan or a prepared contingency or prepared, yep. it's just, just that. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. So it is hot seat time. Yes. Um, we are going to have a 60 second timer. Who's going to be a timer? We got for you. Me? We got you. All right. Awesome. Timer. Okay. And I'm just going to ask. As many questions as possible in 60 seconds, and you give whatever answers come to mind. Great. Sounds good. All right. All right. You ready? Ready, set, go. Mild, medium, or hot salsa? Medium. Online or on-site shopping? Ooh. Online? (laughs) (laughs) Did you watch Sesame Street when you were a child? Absolutely. (laughs) Favorite style of dance? Ooh, um, okay. I, I can't pick just one. I'm a modern dancer by training. I also was a ballet dancer. I also really love soca music. Wow. Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> Which do you prefer? Reading a book, physical book, reading um, a digital book, or listening to a book? Um, I like reading physical books if it's poetry. I like listening to an audio book if it's um, more informational. Nonfiction stuff. UDL yeah, right there. <laughs> <laughs> what in short context? Yes. <laughs> what chore do you enjoy doing? Did you say chore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. None. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Time's up. Time's up. Thank you for playing. That was great. <laughs> that was a good one. Nobody likes chores. <laughs> <laughs> now that I have Audible, I like doing laundry. And folding laundry because I listen to a book while I what do it. Wrong but before you? Audible, forget it. <laughs> you know what? That is so true. So like I've always had this, like I felt like laundry was like my Atlas moment where like, I, you know, when Atlas is holding the world and yes. he never stops, yes. never ends, there's always more laundry. I, I had that feeling. But one of the things I learned in, um, so in 2020, when I was diagnosed with cancer and had to go through chemo and radiation and surgery and all that stuff in the middle of COVID, Oh. One thing I learned was, you know, I can't control all the things, but I can reframe my approach. I can reframe mm. how I ah, feel about it. Yes. So with laundry, I always, I, I do exactly that. Thing. <laughs> I listen to Audible. I listen, wow. you know, I make it a war. I say, okay, I'm only going to listen to this book when I do my laundry. There you <laughs> go. Everybody else's laundry in the house. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So Mom reframing life. is a big, is a big, that's my 2021 theme. Nice. That's great. Nice. And I hope if this isn't too personal that everything is okay with Yeah. So um in um so after about a year fight, um this past fall I got my first no evidence of cancer. Congratulations. So um yeah. So actually guess it was a year and a half fight. Yeah. Wow, good and, for you. I mean, my hair grew back. It grew back different, but uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I just, I feel very grateful and um, it taught me a lot of lessons. Yep. And um, I, I know that I am in the right place at the right time. And just, I feel very fortunate to be a part of the journey with Redlands. And I'm so excited that you all let me Join your chips and salsa today. <laughs> and um, next time, you're going to have to make good on the promise to eat it in person. Oh, we, we will. will. We will. Absolutely. 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 No doubt about it. 
Well, that is a wrap, everybody. Nicole, what a pleasure. I wish we could keep her on this podcast for like three or yes. four more hours. because there's, <laughs> yep, like, there's so much wisdom and great Absolutely. messages for all of us. I, I want to wish you, on behalf of all of us, a lovely, wonderful holiday um, you. for you, your Thank family. You. And we want to wish the same to all of our millions and millions of yes. listeners around Worldwide. the world. Worldwide. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just a lovely holiday. Yes. Um, and we're excited and anticipating a great 2022. Yes. Yes. So we'd like to encourage all of you to keep on listening, share with a friend, um, stay innovative, and maybe one day one of you out there can be a guest on this award-winning podcast. Yay! Yay! Keep giving your best to all those students out there. Keep the faith. And um, uh, this is our USD. Signing off. Explicitly laid out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like so. notes during this. Yeah.